Hello, and welcome to uh, yet another Fringe edition of Exit the Stage Door, and I am still your host, Aaron Teachman, and uh, it's early on Saturday morning, super early, and I hope you didn't hear that. Um, anyway, uh, look, okay, so this is Helen Aberger. She is the director of Forgotten Opera Companies. Do Not Disturb, a brand new opera, which is a door-slamming comedy with m music and a woodwind quartet, and I highly encourage that you check it out. You can finally check it out because it opens today, July 9th, Saturday. It opens today. It's at Atlas Performing Arts Center, and it is in the Springer. Obviously, they're not only going to do it today, there are a couple of other dates. You can find all of that information with the show notes or at capitalfringe.org, where your you know, ticket and scheduling central for a fringe. Um, please check it out. And I'll, well, I mean, here's the episode of explaining why. <laughs> Did I mention that it's early on a Saturday morning? Um, but it's important to get this out because Helen is an amazing person and we had an absolutely incredible conversation. I'm so happy to bring it to you. Um, uh, she is also an opera, I've never met, I've had a bunch of opera singers, but I have never met the opera director yet. And uh, she's she's great. She also directs for uh, Victorian Lyric Opera Company, VLOC, um, out in Rockville. And you should check them out as well. Um, Helen is incredible and I hope you enjoy the conversation and I hope you enjoy her show. Do not disturb. And uh without further ado, Helen Aberger. Three. Okay, I I'm getting it from me. Can you hear from me? I can hear from you too. So I'm gonna go ahead take these off. Most people I, I usually offer uh if people want to wear the cans, but most people don't <laughs> want to hear themselves talk. It'd be kind of interesting to <laughs> sit here with one person wearing them. I yeah, that's why I take them off. I was like I should probably mix the show while we're doing this, but I'm also like, that's just weird. Like in real time? Yeah, I could. That'd be pretty intense. Yeah, there are times when like volume levels change, people's mood changes. Like, right. As, as we open up, it'll be a little bit more expansive and yeah, <laughs> whatever. Right on. Mobile, life is a mobile podcasting producer. It's not life, side side gig. <laughs> Important <laughs> one though, for especially for stuff like this, I really... Because I used to work at Shakespeare Theater Company and other similar Very cool. lore level theaters. Um, at Shakespeare in particular, new work isn't really part of their professional vocabulary very often. Right. Um, and when they do new work, it's like an adaptation, so it's not quite I was about new. to say, yeah, they usually do newer takes on old right. bits. Yeah, like David Ives does that stuff with their... They have stuff with the, the Metromaniacs and stuff like that. That's a Do they use... Um, for the, for any of their shows, do they use mics or hanging mics usually, or do they? So I'm curious because yeah. I am a noob, really, to straight <laughs> okay. theater. Like I am all opera, all music, oh, all the time usually. Okay, I was because this is Forgotten Opera Company. It yeah. is, yes. So, so my experience, I've had limited experiences at the foray of straight theater, and when it was, it was in a black box theater, so there was no use for right the whole shebang of microphones <laughs> and things right. like that. Um, it depends on the situation. Um, for musicals, always. Right. Um, so when we did Funny Thing Happened to Land Forum, or they just did what we call the Shrewsical. The um, Shrewsical? Well, take me the Shrew, <laughs> but... That's amazing. I've never heard that before. <laughs> they turned it into a Duncan Cheek sort of jukebox musical. Interesting. Uh, which was... Interesting is exactly the right <laughs> value-neutral term for <laughs> the complex series of events that was Taming the Shrew. Right. Um, 
like why do you do that show um yeah at all anymore there but was a lot i'm actually part of a facebook group that's like ladies theater group and mm. it's this this closed dc ladies theater group thing and a lot of people were posting like what do you guys think about the the all-male casting and there it was quite a hot topic yeah um, yeah and i don't know if so the original to be f- completely fair to right. the taming people um it was supposed to be billy porter as Kate. okay okay uh, and not Malik. So the concept itself was already... It's, it, it is more about drag. Interesting. So, like, and drag performance with the, with the pin-up. They turned Bianca into a fashion house, sort of. Uh, the face of a fashion house. It's, okay. it's totally unspoken. You absolutely have to read the... Right, <laughs> yes, yes. Read do your dramaturgist a favor yes. and read the little the stuff at the beginning. Yeah. Um, and your directors, quite frankly. Because um, <laughs> uh, it's a good concept when somebody explains it to you. It's like, oh, sure. she's yeah. the younger daughter. She's the face. So that it already buy, it lets you buy a little bit of the animosity between the sisters as mm-hmm. sort of specifically motivated by family circumstances. Like, there's a reason why she's not as, like, tight with her dad. Right. Kind of thing. Right. That makes um, sense. And all of the Bianca stuff is re-realized and it's really good. There's this, like, completely thrown in subtextual love triangle between Tranio, the servant, hmm. and Licencio, and Bianca, and then some other, uh, Biondello, the servant, and that all gets, it's not even a triangle, sort of like a Mexican standoff. <laughs> it becomes very pragmatic at the end, and it's like, and it deals with, because Tranio is, so it's like, Tranio and Licencio are just a gay couple, uh, right. and they have a moment of coupling sort of in the what's called the intermezzo they mm-hmm, didn't mm-hmm. really have an intermission right they had a musical sort of break that the audience was free to leave their seats for right again really good concept very right. difficult to stage at the Harmon. yeah like i can imagine it's not really meant for it yeah it doesn't want to do that yeah <laughs> not in the configuration it's used in the proscenium configuration there is a thrust configuration where you could probably make that more of an idea um that's a long answer to uh, a question that was originally about microphones. <laughs> <laughs> but it diverted. It's it, such it, interesting. It felt, That's wild. Felt I really wish I had been able to see it then because yeah. it sounds really different. It was. And I think it was worth doing. Like, uh, my my initial reaction, especially since they did Kiss Me Kate as their musical this mm-hmm. year, was like, why are we doing this and why is it all male? That mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. very hard to sell. Right. Um, but they, the ideas that they brought to it, uh, I, I'm glad they did it. I'm glad they got the resources to do that. Yeah. They don't think it should be done again they didn't do enough to yeah. counteract the final speech is still a final speech right. about submission yep. to your yep. it's it's still icky uh they didn't they didn't, make <laughs> they it didn't work icky. with that yeah mm. no so that's interesting i actually um did a little research on that director one time and mm-hmm. what he did in new york what he was like really specific about was trying to incorporate many different sensate um, experiences for like the total patron experience when watching a show. So Mm -hmm. in New York he had like, I might be wrong about this, but he had like a 16 hour experience where you would eat a meal between the shows and things like that and it was all incorporated in how you were experiencing the play as a whole. So I was kind of interested to hear when he was coming down like what's he going to do with this? And I heard that he had a marketplace Yes, the marketplace was sort of an extension of that. Mm -hmm. Like, And the, so the um, I actually worked the show. Sweet. Full, full disclosure. Right. <laughs> I, I did some programming for them during the first week of previews. Neat. Um, and er- early on, there was some talk in production meetings, like, can we serve the audience pizza or something? Yeah. Can yeah. we invite them to have the meal? He was definitely 
adamant about that. So what a- that ended up being was uh, cake pops and champagne. Well, I don't. I doubt it was champagne. Sect, whatever. Yeah. Fizzy, white wine. <laughs> don't at me, bro. Um, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the marketplace was uh, was all about it. And the so and this annoyed the sound department to no end because. <laughs> There's a sonic environment yes. from the sound designer right. during the marketplace, and the actors and their instruments were interacting with people right. during right. what would normally be half hour, right. the mm-hmm. traditional mm-hmm. like time when people would be coming in to get dressed. So the actual half hour got pushed back. Oh, Lord. So everybody's day got a lot longer. A three-hour and 15-minute show wow. became like a five- to six-hour call, depending on who you were. Oh, my goodness. So... It was immersive, yeah. But that's also one of the things that I found really interesting about it, because you run, you run into instincts and possessive ideas about theater that you didn't totally realize you had. It's like, yeah. wow, it annoys me that I'm here for this long and that the audience that I have to do this for the audience. That wait, oh wait, we're doing this for <laughs> oh, wait, the audience. That's, that's why we're um, here. That's not a bad idea, and uh, I, I'm resisting it because obviously right. it's more work for me and it's yeah. out of my normal routine of work. But yes, because we did this thing too. They had these like over a hundred gold lantern things throughout the mm-hmm. lobbies and the, and the house and that they had this stuff cascade down from the third catwalk down the sides following sort of the line of the mezzanine wow all, all the way out to the proscenium mm-hmm. and when we were hanging them he was like uh aaron just go go eyeball it like play a designer real quick or mm-hmm. whatever just mm-hmm. like okay so i started adjusting them for the height of people who could sit in the chair and the lighting designer was like, no, 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 too high. I want the, I want the cascade to really come down. Wow. I was like, so we really don't care. Oh, wow. <laughs> You're like, you really don't care about this person and that part of the stage. Interesting. Um, and that kind of annoyed me, but I was like, well, right. you got to resist that. They, they, have, they know that. It's not right. like they don't know that. Right. And they're designing an immersive experience. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's kind of actually bringing the audience a little bit in. Yeah. And it would be on the director to make sure, like, staging-wise. Right. He did not do himself any favors on that front, unfortunately, right. either. Like, they had this giant turntable, two-story turntable um, that had some amazing art on it. But it put quite a lot of the action in the first third. Interesting. Because once you got it, because the first half of it was a bunch of tr- drops. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't go through the structure. Right. So everything had to be, sta- the first act is, like, fully downstage all the time. Wow. When it's not up top. So... Yeah, that's a that's a challenge that kind of kind of yeah. That sounds so wild. It was wild. It was definitely wild. I just finished um, reading a book called Creativity Inc. Oh, have you heard of it? I have not. It is written by one of the guys who helped start Pixar. Oh. It is a fantastic, fantastic book because he talks all about how Pixar grew to be what it is and how the people who work there are very different, and then the acquisition rather the merger of Pixar and Disney mm-hmm. and how for so long, you know, Pixar was like a juggernaut through the 90s, whereas Disney's animation languished. And so when the, the managers from Pixar came over to Disney, they kept them super separate, but they had to break down all of these um, like management schema within Disney that was so dysfunctional and like not doing them any favors necessarily but that they were so used to it It was like oh we have to do the animation this way with this many checks and balances and it was ultimately producing a really not popular product with audiences so I I like what you said about how and I have to challenge myself as a director too to like 
push past what we see as theater norms to create a different experience for patrons. Because anymore, why not just sit at your house and watch a movie or right. watch it on YouTube? Like, what is so special about a live experience? So you have to, like, make it special. <laughs> yeah, I totally agree. Push That's the, awesome. Push the boundaries. So I highly recommend that book. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing book about creativity and, like, just, yeah, challenging your limits as a manager of people mm-hmm. and working with other people. All sort of <laughs> important things in theater, for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. So you are a director. Yes. And a choreographer? Is a that bit, okay. yes. Yes, as a matter of fact. I was trying to do some, I don't, these are, I don't consider Deep these background. interviews, but I wanted to do something. <laughs> I don't remember the name of the show, but it, it was reviewed by DC Metro Theater Arts, where you credited as a choreographer. Yes, it was actually um, HMS Pinafore oh, by Gilbert and right, Sullivan. Right. Just actually, it was kind of a nightmare scheduling-wise, because we were going up with Pinafore the first two weeks of June at the same time I was trying to get the fringe show started oh my gosh at the same time so and what was crazy is the assistant music director for pinafore also is the music director for do not disturb the opera the oh fringe okay opera. so we were both doing like tag teaming these things and pretty exhausted by now but um it turned out to be great so vlock victorian lyric opera mm-hmm. company is this little sort of amateur operetta company that i've been working with for a while and got my feet wet with directing and have they ultimately have given me a fantastic opportunity to direct an opera last year, I'm doing one next year, and I'm doing this fringe opera this year for them. Um, their contemporary arm is the Forgotten Opera Company. Oh, okay. And that's how they produce one-off sort of fringy bits, because the, the, um, the Victorian Lyric Opera Company specializes only in operetta that was done in the Victorian era. Oh, okay. So it's pretty, it's myopic in the sense that you can only do between like 1850-ish up until maybe, I think we did one from like 1910 and that was the breaking point to, <laughs> to the purists. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe you considered Technically doing... Edwardian. Exactly, exactly. They're like, oh. <laughs> um, so funny. The, and the people it brings out in the audience are really funny too because they are purists. But so the, our, our specialty is Gilbert and Sullivan and mm, they're yeah. the, the British duo who did such joys as the Mikado and HMS Pinafore. Um, and... Yeah, con- like not contemporary things. Mm. So it's cool that we get to do this for Fringe as as a v- successful operetta company being able to just be like, let's try this. Let's yeah, this. I love that. I yeah. love that idea. Yeah. Uh, experiments are important. They I, are. Yeah. They are. Um, so yes, to, by way of answering your original question, yes, I did some choreography <laughs> from them for them um, for Pinafore, and that's totally not my forte. <laughs> it really is not. I admittedly have very few dance steps like in my <laughs> I was a ballet dancer when I was young so oh, I like okay, yeah. I have that in in my box of tricks but sure, it's not yeah. what I'm what I'd like to be known for okay. I'll say that much <laughs> okay <laughs> yeah ultimately my goal is to become a director who gets to the Metropolitan Opera to mm-hmm. European stages flies around and does million dollar productions of Hell things. Yeah. yeah so that, and so I, I've had the uh, privilege a couple times of interviewing some people who have experienced an opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I worked Urban Arias. That's what I worked at this Very right now, cool. Was oh, yeah. the production of As One. Nice. Um, so did you work with Courtney Kalbacher? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She's pretty she amazing. was on the board of VLOC oh. with me. And she did. She sang Mabel in Pirates of Penzance. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. 
the interconnected DC. Yeah, theaters. and she's also in Baltimore a yep, lot. Like yep. I am, I actually live in Ellicott City. Okay, cool. <laughs> so, Very cool. Yeah, that is small and interconnected. Um, mm-hmm. But I also, um, I have a couple of friends who are opera singers. Yeah. Uh, Ryan Connolly and a couple of people who are from CCM. So, and he, nice. he was at, um, oh, the Virginia Opera for one season. Nice. Uh, what did they do? They did a crazy show. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's like a play, an opera within an opera. Pagliacci? E. Pagliacci, rather? I can't remember now. I it's, There's it's, a couple of those it's, that but exist. It, but it, my friends who are into opera, it's very interesting to mm-hmm. me because the level of technical knowledge that's just assumed as, as like... Because yes, you can yes. just throw off operas and like, oh yeah, act two of that is crazy. Like Yeah, yeah. I, and it's like... If, I am not even close to this level of baseball nerd, but it's very much like yeah. baseball. It's like Ted Williams hit 400 once, but it's even more, it's even more yeah, nuts like and bolts Yeah, knowing the date that. that that happened. Yeah, right, exactly. And it's like, like who season? else was on the team right. kind of a thing. And that's, yeah. that's how it feels with opera. Yes. It's, it's a world that I would love to be a part of, especially from the technical side, because yeah. like, when you get to those levels, that, uh, the amount of money that is thrown around in <laughs> opera is, is outrageous. Insane, right? yes. Like, yes. wow. yes. Because I lived, so I lived in, in um, Louisville. Okay, Kentucky. For a year, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, <laughs> I suppose I shouldn't assume that's the only Louisville in the country. It's not. <laughs> I know for a fact that it's not. But, um, uh, their opera company, Kentucky Opera, which Ryan also sang for, he sang in a, <laughs> a, like a small part for uh, Figaro. Nice. So I went over to see him. Um, but they were, having <laughs> they were having a fight with the union. The, yeah. The musicians' union wanted to decertify and become an amateur organization, which yes. obviously that they were musicians themselves were resisting that, so sure. they were protesting in front of it. So the opera itself was done with two massive grand pianos. Holy cow! In the pit, and that was how they did Figaro. Wow! And they had this massive set, and we're talking about yeah. And they were talking about how much money they saved because they didn't have to pay the mm-hmm. musicians this time around. Yeah. We're talking about like ninety thousand dollars or something yes. like that. Yes. And the, it happens twice. It, I, I was blown away by this. Like, <laughs> what do you mean, like, twice this weekend? Or, no, no, twice. And actually, for, for Carmina, they were like, we're going to do it four times because that's a really popular one. Like, yeah. four times? Yeah. There is no prayer of making your money back in four performances. Because it's not in Kentucky Opera because it's right. not a 3,000-seat house. Right. It's less than a 1,000. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Clearly... This is not an investment in this is this is clearly about cultural cachet and totally. art. And this totally. is like we did figure out so there. Yep. Yeah, totally it is. It's not it is increasingly obvious to anybody who's looking at it that it's not a money making venture yeah. at all. Yeah. Like at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the people who do it do it for a love of art. Yeah. Um, and struggle to be relevant. But I think it's cool again, sorry for my <laughs> That's an awesome ringtone, by the way. <laughs> Thank you for my <laughs> for excuse me. Um what I've been noticing with this fringe thing is that in order to remain relevant, we're probably going to have to start doing these pop-up things where we're able mm. to be mobile. Um, I th- looking at the set and having other people look at our set who have done fringe shows before, they're like, oh my God, you have a lot of set. It's heavy. There's a bunch of pieces. And I'm like, but how else could I do it? There's right. no way you can imagine a door when the whole thing is about like mistaken, oh, yeah. going into mistaken <laughs> do, do hotel doors. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah. You can't not have a door, so we have to have three doors, and the doors have yeah. to stand up, and they have to be able to be slammed, yeah. and there's like the whole gamut of technical considerations. But um, 
And so then once we had like the scene, the scenery, I was like, okay, we're set, we're set. And as I'm watching, I'm like, God, this could really use lights. I really need oh, lights. Yeah. So then it, it's another element. And I've, I see how, I see how people spend millions of dollars. I yeah. would love to have millions of dollars yeah. to fly, like have bumper cars and fly space and everything <laughs> to, to play with, with any opera. But, um, yeah, it is not, not a money-making venture no. in, in the grand style. <laughs> but I, I think that's actually, I, I theater isn't either. I mean, yeah. that's, that's the thing that I think is interesting because you're, if you let go of the notion that you have to make your money back on it, you yeah. can actually do things that are wild. Yeah, this is true. And like, this is why, this is why European theater and opera mm-hmm. are so revered because they're like, well, we're, we're not even going to pretend. So you can do just crazy things that yeah. are awesome. And let them be awesome because of the, let their existence be everything about what it needs to be, and not yes. any other considerations yes. behind that. And not obviously, there's commercial theater, right, in New York, yes, and right. and like and people do stuff like for Roadhouses. But the act of producing your own show that runs for only four weeks at the most that is never going to make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's true about Europe. They're I mean, I'm just amazed that they've had their, like, governments invest for so long in arts, but that speaks to a whole other cultural side that they're... Right. <laughs> that they... I don't know if it's hanging on to, because that, se- that well. sounds like a bad thing, <laughs> or if it's something that they really still cherish and love. Yeah. And will continue to do. But, um, yeah, whenever I see the cool... Pictures of cool versions of things, it's always Europe. Yeah. And when I think, like, they did... Uh, an abduction from the Seraglio, Mozart opera, which Mozart is Mozart, lovely music, but they set it in like Syria. Whoa. Yeah, they set it in like war torn Syria, and I think in the opening weekend of it, it this was in Austria, I want to say, mm. the opening weekend of it, there was some awful terrorist act that happened in Syria at the same time, and they were like, patrons, just, you know, if you need to, close your eyes during this first part because there is some crazy things that happen. It's Mozart. Like, it's Mozart <laughs> written way back when, when none yeah. of these, you know, horrible acts could have been conceived of. And I was like, there's no way that that production could be done in the United States. No one would agree to put it up, let right. alone come to it. Yeah. Versus, and then there was some controversy at the Met. They did a John Adams opera. It was at Adams called Einstein. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Einstein on the beach. That's not it. It's one of the ones. Yeah, it was set on the ocean. Robert Anton Wilson. Yeah, it was set on the ocean liner, and it was about um, Palestinians taking over this cruise ship. And it, this actually happened. He does a lot of his operas about true events. The, mm. I believe it was Palestinians took o- terrorists took over the ship, and just happened to push a guy off in a wheelchair that happened to be Israeli. And the Israeli community was like in an uproar. This mm. was the Met at the Met and just even agreeing to put that on it was a huge kerfuffle yeah. it's like yeah. we can't we can't afford in the United States to put on edgy opera yeah. necessarily unless we're willing to just take a bath in it and also right. revel in the controversy right so. which because of the way we fund is not yes. possible no. to just simply no government entity no, yeah. fu- no foundation like family foundation would be like yes let me give you money for that Yeah, because <laughs> we want to have our name attached to it yeah, yeah no way yeah it's crazy so <laughs> uh, so I how how long do you get speaking of your your set mm-hmm. how long do you get to load in 15 minutes yeah so you get <laughs> this is why people don't usually have scenery for free, yep 
Yep. And a lot of people, I had never done, I've never done a friend show before mm-hmm. this. Yeah. And I had a couple actor friends be like, oh, I'm never doing a friend show again. And I was like, but why? Mm-hmm. It sounds so cool. And now that I'm doing it, I'm like, oh, I see why. Yeah. There's a lot of considerations yeah. um, of timing and it's hard, but it's exciting too. There's a level of adrenaline. Like I'm totally gassed from this morning, yeah. but but also really satisfied with how things went and that 15 minutes is going to be insane but once mm-hmm. I get to sit back behind a light board and start doing cues it's going to yeah. be like ah oh, okay because <laughs> I have total confidence in my cast to pull off the rest of the yeah. show um, well, I, I should say thank you for <laughs> having recording this podcast after your tech no of that course was, of course because um, you get three and a half hours four hours We, you get exactly double whatever your running time is oh, for your tech oh okay so you that's well, hilarious. I know. It's so if you have a, like a 15 minute show or like a 30 minute show, you're you're wow. you get one hour to, to load in. Um, Dude. Or to to tech it rather. Right. To tech it in the space. Yeah. yeah. Everybody gets 15 minutes. You get 15 minutes to load in your stuff. 15 minutes to let the audience in. Mm-hmm. And then you do you have exactly what the amount of time you told Fringe your show was going to run, which for us is 90 minutes. Um, and we've been clocking in just a hair over each time with scene changes, and it's like, ah! <laughs> so today, the composer, who's actually singing in the show, he's playing uh, the lead role of Ethan, he came to me and he was like, listen, I think we need to cut something. And I was like, okay, what's it going to be? This is going to be crazy. But we picked a, we picked one easy cut that's going to cut two minutes and hopefully shave off that there little bit go. of extra yeah. time. Um, We'll see how it goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm a little nervous about that, actually. <laughs> but yeah, and then so once once the 90 minutes is up, basically the fringe, I th- this is what I understand, the fringe um, coordinator for the venue comes up and is like, all right, time to turn on the lights, and you get 15 minutes to load all your stuff out. So my understanding is the loadout is pretty much like we're just going to take all our stuff and throw it on the sidewalk outside of the Atlas here <laughs> and then sort it out. There's going to be no organization really to right, it at yeah. all. Yeah, um, that makes sense. That's kind of how strike is normally. That's anyway, true. So. That's true. Yeah, it's usually like throw it all away. Yes. <laughs> Take out somebody collect all the screws <laughs> at the same time. Um, yeah. It's interesting. <laughs> the other interesting thing that's happened. Um, so we did a preview last week up in Rockville. Okay. At cool. Our yeah. Usual, I'd say. Our usual theater, and um, we had an audience that usually comes to V-Lock things, mm-hmm. so they're used to Victorian <laughs> operetta. So they had the feedback I got. We did a, we, a cool talk back afterwards with uh, Dr. Rick Davis from George Mason University, who was pretty cool. Um, the feedback we got from the audience was like, it doesn't sound like we're used to, which makes sense. It's like, yeah. yes, this is a contemporary opera. And the other uh, strong feedback I got was, I can't understand the words. It's in English, mm-hmm. but I can't understand what the singers are saying. And 50% of it I lost. I know that the lyrics were good. I know that it was funny because I heard other people laughing, but I couldn't hear them. I couldn't mm. understand them. And it wasn't it wasn't that I couldn't hear them necessarily because opera singers obviously sing right. full blast. It's not. It's an audibility, an intelligibility question yes. as yes. opposed to an audibility question. Yes. And so for, for our VLOC shows, we usually have super titles. Oh, yeah. We always have super titles, even if it's in English. And um, that way you don't miss anything. Right. So for the past week and a half, I've been wrestling. I'm like, do I do it? We decided not to do it for our preview because we knew we didn't necessarily have the capability to do it in the Fringe show. Right, right. Um, But last night after our last run with the orchestra, I was like, oh, my God, we've worked so hard. The librettist 
has put her heart and soul into this. The composer has put his heart and his soul into this. There's no way I can allow the audience not to hear or understand the words. Mm. So I am I am bringing in my personal television. Wow. <laughs> and hooking it up to a, to a like basically a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to be down front and center um, to be. It's a, I mean, it looks, it's small in the grand scheme of things. It's not super titles that people are used to, but we don't have that. Um, but I'm bringing right. my television, and Laura, the librettist, is actually going to sit in the front row with a little remote control, like she's watching TV, and click through uh, the words as they happen so yeah. that that ensures the audience will catch everything, which I think is huge. I mean, that's... Yeah, yeah. If opera is a Gesamtkunstmusik, mm-hmm. Verkmusik, whatever... Gesamtkunstwerk. Oh, my God, thank you, thank you. The entire arts work, um, words are such a huge part of that. Yeah. Besides yeah. what you're seeing and what you're hearing, what you're actually inputting into your brain is the words is pretty paramount to me. Yeah, that's... that's the so that was not really... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's the. I find I uh, talk about being pushed out of your normal boundaries, like mm. b- producing in a space that doesn't belong to you. Yeah, it's a little funky. It introduces you to why regional theater companies exist. Yes. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes. I don't. I have to recreate something that I took for granted. Yes. I can't believe I took that for granted. Yes. The capability of supertitles seems it's is is just a part of what you do for opera. Yeah. And then you're doing it in a place that isn't actually an opera house. Yep. It's actually a black box. Yep. <laughs> you're like, oh, oh crap. Is that even possible? Yes. Yeah. And that's a that's an obstruction that becomes a, a creative a cause for ah. I'll eventually develop a pithy way to describe <laughs> the way in which an obstruction incites a creative response, but um, it's not here today. So, <laughs> <laughs> insert word here. <laughs> it creates a. Mm. Yeah. yeah, there's an elegant way to say that. I'm I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's interesting. And actually, for. Um, so, in the process of ap- applying to French. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you request the Springer specifically? Yes. Or? Okay. Yes, we did. Okay. We totally did because we needed. We knew we were going to have live. Um, we needed a live piano. Ah, it okay. sounds better. It yes. just sounds better it than does. a yes. a, uh, yep. a keyboard. So we got them. We also have a woodwind quartet. Mm, okay. We've got a flute, an oboe, and two clarinetists, which um, is different. Sean would tell you, and he has said he was like, I am so bored with string quartets. I'm going to write something with different layers and, and colors. And he chose a, a woodwind quint, or quartet. Um, and last night they sounded so cool because actually human voices are very similar to a woodwind. Oh. I mean, it's the same, oh, the same yeah. dealio, right. basically, that's going on <laughs> with your vocal cords. Um, so, uh, you know, Mrs. S sounds like a flute and Emma sounds like an oboe sometimes. And the way he's voiced it is really cool. Oh, that's um, interesting. So yeah, we specifically requested the Springer because they could give us a piano, and yeah. because it's the biggest and could accommodate our apparently gigando set. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all three doors of it. Yeah, all three doors and bed. We have a bed. Oh, you have a bed. Wow, you are ambitious. A window unit <laughs> and a desk. Somebody else, a bunch of people are like, should we add a little table here? Should we? Do that? I'm like, no, no more <laughs> stuff. We need to just streamline this. Yeah. It needs to be. It'll be representative. It'll be. Yes. You know, the rest yeah. will be left to the imagination. <laughs> um, so yeah, the Springer. It was cool being in there today. It's a cool space. It's interesting to be in a black box space versus like an opera house yeah. too, because the 
the acoustics are much drier. Oh yeah. The sound is more immediate. I like that for this very specifically in a, in a chamber opera style. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas in our house, our house up in Rockville, it's you get lost in the cavern. The sound takes forever to bounce back to you, so you can't rely on. You have to always be with the conductor. Mm-hmm. You can't rely on what you're hearing back from the orchestra because it's like a millisecond. Oh wow! If not more. That's an eternity. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> Yes, it is. <laughs> I mean, I edit film together and stuff like yeah. that. So, like, the, you know, film is th- 30 frames per second, give or take. Mm-hmm. I, again, don't at me at 29.97. <laughs> um, but missing one frame is is actually enough. One thirtieth of a second. Yes. And it, it's completely wrong. Like, it, it wow. takes you completely out of it. If, wow. If, if you saw it repeatedly, it would drive you <laughs> insane. Wow. So, it's like when that lag happens if your TV is out of sync with yeah. the audio. Yes, I totally understand that. And actually, of course, Urban Arias. And this is Mm -hmm. every... (sighs) Guys, LED television sets and lag. Let's... We we used to use them as video monitors. Right. But you can't use just any old LED LCD television as a monitor because Mm -hmm. if you have to be with the conductor, Mm -hmm. then it can't be behind. It cannot be behind. So they, Urban Arias, had to source a 32-inch CRT... Because they didn't have the money for the fancy wow. non-laggy yeah. LED panels mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to make sure that the conductor could be seen by the two people who needed it, who like needed probably it. for three measures worth of music. I bet that yeah. we couldn't see. Wow. Yeah. Beca- and, yeah. And they're in the obvious, like in Springer, they're in the same room. Like they're yes. to immediately to the yeah. right of the playing space, and it still needs to be so. I realize I didn't say playing space correctly there. <laughs> I wanted just like Aaron, just keep going, but I can't. I just can't let it go. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> my brain processed it correctly. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's there. There isn't even a pit in between. Like, yeah, we, no. and we've done musicals. Mm-hmm. I, I I didn't argue with them because that's their prerogative. Anyway, like, I'm hired to implement their ideas, not to mm-hmm. originate them. I mm-hmm. realize that I'm so far away from where those meetings happen that my job as an Emmy is not about like, but you could do it this way. It's like, nope, we have decided to do it this way. Wow. Um, and it turns out it's really hard to get a CRT monitor. They I can to imagine. Go to a that sounds store. quite specific. <laughs> yeah. Quite specific. Um, because, but, but I was like, no, we have definitely used LCDs in it, at the Harmon and at the Alley. And at the Alley, the, the pit is in a literally in, another we, room, in a probably, different right? room. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they were in the trap room. Mm-hmm. There was no, like, the Harmon has a pit, a trappable pit. Mm-hmm. So. They put them in the orchestra pit, as it were. Right. Well, sort of. They put them in the trap and made it look like an orchestra pit. Right. Well, they didn't from La Mancha, actually. In La Mancha, they were up on up. the side. Cool. Um, which, yeah, that worked. Um, but, yeah, completely physically isolated. Mm-hmm. There was no way you were going to see the conductor, and we right. used LCDs. It's like, how is that possible? And then I looked at it. Like, oh, if you spend money on good yeah. ones. Right. <laughs> you spend $500, $600. If you do that. On a sure. fancy TV. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. So yeah, a millisecond will will kill you. It, a millisecond will mess you up. Yeah. <laughs> so, but you're rolling without a monitor. We are rolling without a monitor. We've got our we've strategically placed our conductor ah, okay. um, <laughs> to the side, and we've been. Yeah, it's been a process of figuring out like what's the best place for the quote unquote pit. Right. But it's yeah. it's not. It's our little orchestra um, of a piano and four wind players. Where do we put them so that they can see the conductor? That the yeah. singers can still see the conductor. And that they can all be jelly and mushy and lovely so that the audience hears it all together. Right. Um, yeah. 
it's hard too because you yeah. have to have them be quiet enough with a pit you don't have the sound like in your face and when right. we had originally right. set up we had becky the conductor like square center stage and the pit <laughs> the, the, or the instrumentalists around her and we're like no this is not gonna yeah, work it's, it's gonna so work. loud and anybody in the first two rows is just gonna hear like <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be this wall of wind sound um uh, that's so probably not what phil specter was going for no no not at all so we <laughs> we put them a little bit behind one of the legs the piano the upright piano is behind a leg to muffle some of the funkiness and um the winds will be right in front of it. So hmm, interesting, yeah. That, I mean, that's pr- obviously the point of a black box is to have yes. some kind of configurability like that, so that the architecture isn't cutting completely against you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I got the ultimate fortune getting to see West Side Story when it was at Signature. Oh. They had their pit like much like you said, La Mancha was like up. Oh wow! It was up on this. They had the whole thing set up like a uh, New York City like grates and things like that uh-huh, or yeah. um what the heck is that called you're talking about the fire escapes and yes the, yeah. yes exactly the fire escapes everywhere and they had the pit up there which seemed a little precarious because they were that all like yeah. oh man <laughs> i mean i'm sure it was bolted within an image of its life yeah but i'm it, sure the unions that oh, union's yeah. rules aren't necessarily like actors equity those actors have definitely been that's happened to them before yeah. and so the equity contract is like yeah by the way <laughs> You need to. T- it There's needs to be rules. like an eight thousand pound. Yeah, sort of. But I room. imagine that's not in the musicians' contract necessarily. No, yeah, musicians are usually put underground or in a different room. <laughs> yeah. So to have them up in the air, they're probably like, "What's going on?" Their their union didn't know what to expect oh, man. with that one. But it sounded cool. It was beautifully done. It was really beautifully, and the it was in uh, three quarter too. So oh, was, okay, yeah, that's excellent. That was yeah. really cool. To Put watch. you really into it, yeah. Yeah, that was probably one of the coolest things I've seen in a very long time. Nice, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm like, oh, what else can I say <laughs> about the opera? <laughs> uh, what, uh, what, when does it premiere? So we go up on Saturday. Saturday, yeah, okay. Two days. Yeah. In the afternoon, which is really cool. We get five total performances um, spread out over a couple weeks. I think our last one is like the 24th or the 25th, mm-hmm, another mm-hmm. Saturday. Um, my mom is coming to see it. <laughs> <laughs> She's very proud and excited. And actually, she is somebody... Last night, as I was hemming and hawing over the whole uh, subtitle thing, she her voice resonated very strongly in my head as, Helen, I couldn't understand any of the words. What are you going to do? So I was like, oh, God, i got to deal with this because I don't <laughs> want my mom not to know what was happening. <laughs> she's uh, she's very vocal about her, her feedback. And a lot of it is, is quite valid. It's really nice to have an outside mm, yeah. perspective on... Someone who's lovingly giving feedback and not like, why did you do that? Right, yeah. There's a there's a known benefit of the doubt that makes the yeah. criticism and it's easier not, to understand. It's not my husband who's lived the process with me and is <laughs> like, honey, it's so great. You're doing a great job. I mean, he's an awesome voice to have too. But Yeah, that voice needs to happen in theater. Oh, my God. The stuff that we do I can't, needs I mean, people saying that all the time. God bless the single ladies. But I can't imagine going through any of this without my partner mm. with with my husband he big ups to him <laughs> big ups to him because he's not a theater person but he has been so wildly supportive like he's the person who like makes me a peanut butter sandwich before i come today he's the person who keeps the light on when i come home really late at night from rehearsals and like takes care of the dog for an entire month <laughs> but um yeah it's it's really hard to navigate by yourself yeah and and the doubts that come with it too yeah. i've been experiencing 
as a director, you're put in a really senior position of making decisions and, and being the creative guidance through the whole show where the doubts that come up are like can be crippling at times and you need some I need an outside validator to be like no you know you're you're doing okay what the doubts you're experiencing are okay and <laughs> you're doing okay you're doing fine you're gonna yeah. it's gonna be great um, I had that same experience when I it took me a really long time to go freelance um, mm-hmm. I, I worked at the alley starting in 2006 and met a bunch of really cool people who were the overhire, and they all had amazing stories. Like this one woman um, went to school in Dublin and worked the Edinburgh Fringe wow. all the time. Um, and you know, I hear stories from people in New York and and how much better it can be yeah. as a freelancer. Yes. But for a long time, I couldn't handle not having the security of the regularity of a paycheck. Two pay- two week paycheck benefits. Yes, yeah, exactly. The whole king boodle, Yeah. And then I think. Well, one show in particular, I've talked about this before, but not with you, obviously, <laughs> but, um, was uh, when we did Henry IV. We did Henry IV Parts 1 and 2 mm-hmm. um, in rep at Shakespeare. Woof. Yeah. that was a, We were in tech for a month. And what? Yeah, that yeah. is ridiculous. Between tech and previews, Woo. we were we were we had, had at least five hours of tech every wow. day, six days a week for a month. And... Um, and at that point, there's like there are institutional. Could you even have a day job with that? Not at all. No. Yeah. No, no, no. And in fact, like, yeah, at that level, like, that's what because the intersection of like ha- needing the day job mm-hmm. and having these, the way that theater is made at like studio and yep. the, we're talking these these levels on up, the rehearsal process and the tech process are all consuming. Yes especially if you're a lead there is no time when you're like oh i need can we work in this four hour chunk or anything like just yeah, no like yeah. we're in rehearsal eight hours a day because six weeks of rehearsal isn't actually enough right yes to do what we want to do what we know we are capable as a theater of doing right yeah so that's when it becomes that's where you hear stories from people who are actors of like very uh understanding cafe owners and people <laughs> yes. who teach dance yes um yes and teaching teaching is a very com- teaching acting and teaching dance mm-hmm. and teaching singing is very common for for um, for all the actors and stuff like that. But for the technicians, it's if you get a gig, it's it's th- those are the gigs that you want. Like mm-hmm. they last for a month and then you can walk away and like take those two weeks off to get your brain yes. back. Yes. Um, like I just did this thing at Young Arts uh, with Young Arts. At, we tech uh, for a Kennedy Center concert hall performance mm-hmm. honoring the Presidential Scholars with oh, nice. Young Arts, but you can't afford. Almost no one can afford the Con- Kennedy Center concert hall for a week um, no. for a show that doesn't actually sell tickets. <laughs> oh my god! So, yeah, no, <laughs> so they teched at the Gonda, uh, which is on Georgetown's campus. Okay. And I was there for eight straight days, and I worked ninety hours. Woof! So, wow. like, that's awesome. But now, I'll, if I if I were in an institution, I'd be like, okay, next show is in a week. Yep. Yep. Um, but now I can be like, eh, I didn't, but I could have <laughs> right. said, I will take that, I will take that time back. So all the institutional stuff during that particular show, and I had a flashback moment when someone fell into the trap. Like, a, oh my god! A, I, I, my roommate fell from the grid of the alley, which was not, I, I did not understand the depth of how traumatizing that experience was to yeah. me until I saw someone watch them fall into the trap, and oh then my like god. that, I was so messed up the next, the entire no. next day was like. Okay, it's time to it's time to it's time to 
remove what I think of as a safety net because I also think it's the ceiling. If I if I stay here, my ceiling is this, mm-hmm. like whatever forty five thousand dollars a year. Mm-hmm. Maybe if I get to be a lighting supervisor at one of these majors right. institutions, it's sixty thousand dollars a year and dealing with this all of the time and with no break and no end and no mm. uh, no possibility of of having what normal per people call a life because yep. those hours of theater are not those are not, not normal. So I took that step, but I don't think I would have been able to do it without the fact that I was living with my family mm. and. Um, um, like my, I was living, I'm living with my grandmother and my aunt and uncle and, and my cousins. So it's like a, like multi-generational That's really cool. experience. And it's really, it is really cool. And they're, they don't, they don't know anything about theater. Um, <laughs> but their support was, uh, what helped me and still helps me get through those. Like, am I, shouldn't I just go back on staff? Like, <laughs> right? This staff yeah. job is totally open and I know I can do it. Right. But I'm like, no, no. Yeah. Gotta. You can't fly if your wings are clipped. So, yeah, that is that is a big step that I'm scared to make. I want I want to, but yeah. I'm scared to do it because the security thing. It's like I I am not that I'm like living high on the hog or anything, no, yeah. but <laughs> but my day job affords me the sick days and yeah. vacation time. So like if I don't want to do a show all the time, I can just go. So like Costa Rica, like we did this year, Belize mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. year, and just get away yeah. and get paid for it still, and <laughs> <laughs> not have to take take a hit, which is really nice. But um, I'm gonna try the alternative track, like in a year or two. I'm gonna tr- test it out and see if I can go get my MFA in directing. Mm, that's a huge step. Yes, either theater directing or there are some places like CCM that have an opera directing mm-hmm. degree which is pretty rad I know, I know people who would highly recommend CCM. <laughs> I want to go to CCM so bad. Their program is like it's mecca. Amazing. OMG. Uh, yeah, I talked to the program totally director incredible. a couple weeks ago, and she was describing it. I was like, please take me. Oh, my God, please <laughs> take me. I want to go right now. I want to go back to school and learn everything, everything yeah. there is. Because yeah. she talked about how like theater is so – like straight theater and craft, stage craft is becoming – it's obviously a huge part of making an opera realistic and lovely and fabulous, yeah. but that more and more directors from theater are migrating to opera, which is super cool. Yeah. Cause opera usually it's like lady with a horned hat. Yeah. Bark and park <laughs> yeah. kind of situation where there's not a lot going on on stage. Cause it's just, everybody's there for the music. Too. Mm, right. Right. But, but seriously, I think at, like adding in motivation and obstacles and, and objectives like that is so huge to, to making, a 21st century opera yeah. experience that much better. So going yeah. to school for that would, I don't know what it's going to do. My husband's like, I hope you have a full-time job after you go to school so that we can pay back whatever. And it's like, I hope so too. Yeah, I really hope so. That's not how that's going to work. I know. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> that's, that's awesome actually. Yeah. I, I highly recommend the MFA course as someone who wanted to be a director mm-hmm. and tried to do it without doing yeah. it. There's I mean, a ceiling. I, There's I appro- a ceiling to well, it. And I applied to MFA programs, and you like, you need to have directed in the past yes. in order to get into those programs, which yeah. I find to be an annoyingly high obstacle. Yeah. Like, and, and I was told, I, th- I thought my route would go through internships. I literally applied to every not-for-profit theater that offers an internship and housing. Interesting, yeah. In the country. Wow. I got a letter from one of them. No. Are you serious? Just serious, one? Serious, just one. Milwaukee. Rep. Thanks, went Milwaukee, for yeah. writing a letter. And their letter said, you don't have enough experience to be our directing intern. Wow. 
What do they expect? Well, so I, it, this, <laughs> it's it's hilarious how my interests just weirdly warp and overlap into themselves. Uh-huh. Speaking of theater being a small world, economics right. is a small world. So, like, base I, there's a baseball podcast that I listen to, uh-huh. and it's usually nerd. Like, we're talking about like stats heavy stuff <laughs> from baseball perspectives but they've also discovered um for, two of their writers discovered uh that there is an internship problem in major league baseball really so front offices people think because they think people think of sports and they think about obviously you don't care about money for spending 252 million dollars mm-hmm. on one player mm-hmm. like Money is no no object. You have mm-hmm. a stadium that costs a billion dollars. Of course, the stadium is paid for by this, not paid by for the by the team. Yep. And the front office is not run like that. So they have to cut corners and they have to manage their personnel in a way that they feel to be cost effective. And w- what has resulted is that there is a very clear pipeline for baseball people. You had to have gone to an Ivy League. You have to have wow. a quant background, and you have to intern with them. Wow. Most of them are not paid. Some of them are what See, you would call living wages. Maybe fifteen dollars an hour was a maximum that they discovered wow. for a major league baseball team. Wow, that is incredible. Literally, like one of them just sold for two, no, four billion dollars. The the Dodgers are worth billions of dollars. Yo, Dodgers, they, pay your people. Right, but they won't pay their interns. <laughs> pay your people. Pay your interns. <laughs> so I have some a little bit. I mean, obviously, I. Wow. Theaters have this problem as well. No, totally. So to be a director, to be a directing intern means you have to have been a director. That's yeah. that's the path that they need. And now most of the time, to be fair to them, they're set up. And this is what I think is so frustrating. And what they are the the reason the baseball people highlighted this as a problem is that what you're doing is creating a group think. Totally. With certain parameters. Totally. And if it's outside of the parameters, then all of a sudden it it doesn't work. Yep. And I put that in air quotes yep. for yep. our <laughs> listeners. Um. It made sense in context. Uh, <laughs> and that's so true. I think it's, ve- as, as someone who wants to be creative, but as in the technical side, I think that is very true of institutional theater. Yeah. It, and it is a major part of the diversity problem in theater. That's very, yeah, when you put it that way, that makes a lot of sense. Because, I mean, who can afford, who yeah. can afford to do that? Nobody. I'm Privilege. shaking my head. Yeah, nobody. Like, like, nobody can do that. So, um, wow. because I don't have an MFA... Even though I've wor- I worked for a Tony Award-winning theater for mm-hmm. four years, mm-hmm. I have three college degrees and a degree in like cultural criticism, so I can deal with all of those aspects yeah. of being a director, analyzing text, right. and and all of that stuff. Um, but I didn't have the two words directed yeah. by right. my well, I guess four words directed by our teacher <laughs> uh, on the resume. <laughs> yeah, it was too difficult for them to imagine. That what you could I could be, be, yeah. So I didn't even make a short program. list, yeah. That's and then I moved wild. to New York, so I was like, okay, well, I'm going to take the residency thing out of it, mm-hmm. and I'm just going to move to New York and apply to all of the internships, and I applied to every single not-for-profit theater in New York. And again, I received a postcard from one of them. Thank you, <laughs> New York Theater Workshop, for the courtesy. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh my god. Since I, since since then, I have well, I mean, the kind of work that they're doing, like Ivo Van Hova's. Mm-hmm. Um, crucible with like, right. Saoirse Ronan and like okay that's yeah. fair <laughs> that's my <laughs> you're a small theater right. physically small space right. but I I definitely underestimated your <laughs> cultural cachet <laughs> okay fair dues um, but otherwise like gaping utter silence because wow. I hadn't beaten my resume into shape and then at this point like um, I've discovered enough of a I come from a filmmaking background actually mm-hmm. too so I was like well it, I don't, 
if I would, don't want to wait for anyone's permission, I'm just going to make movies. So, right. like, and that part is fine. So I can get, I can do the creative things that I want to do as a director in film instead mm-hmm. of theater. That's fine. But for, for anybody else who wants to be a director, I highly recommend, it's unfair as it feels and sounds, yeah. produce, self-produce, yeah, you and get an MFA. You um, really got it. It's, it's how, it's, it's, it's how the institution's thinking. It's, yeah. Yeah, that's... It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so frustrating to to hear that. I actually, I think I, I really wanted to apply to Wolf Traps internship oh, yeah, program. Yeah, and I was looking. I was like, oh my god, I haven't offered directing one. And then it's like, womp, you know, like back it up. You got to be in school to even apply. Yeah, and I was like, really? All right, I'm gonna go back to school. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. If, I, if some of these opportunities require that I have to go back to school, I'm gonna bite the very hard bullet of spending mm. that money and and frankly you know I got my degree in it was a bachelor of arts and music which is a really fancy way of saying it. I took like a buttload more of credits than I should have to get an instrumental performance degree at University of Miami so I played oboe mm-hmm. back in the day and like that I obviously have zero class history like zero formal education mm. in theater and in opera but everything I've ever lived and breathed from like 12 years old <laughs> to now has been reading opera news and and looking at all these blogs and going to as many performances as I can and and just being up on it and and participating in it too I was like an extra in operas when I was in high school and then I played in the pit orchestra in college and um and then finally found this this amateur group mm-hmm. in Rockville the- at Rockville Maryland which has been Fantastic, because it's a community. It's community oriented, but the production value is actually. Surpri- I mean, I shouldn't say surprisingly because I'm <laughs> on the board, but it's surprisingly high. <laughs> like, it's really quite fantastic considering that that we have people actually physically making the sets, mm-hmm. and um, sometimes we rent the costumes, but they're all made. And where was I going with this? Getting the getting the experience. Yeah. So when I went to them, I participated in one little thing that they did, and I went to the producer of it and I was like hey so I'm looking to become a stage director this I was scared out of my wits to go to her because I was like I have no experience in this whatever there's no they don't know me from Adam right yeah I was like is there any way I could shadow a director I will do it no pay I will just come to rehearsals and watch she was like yeah we should we've done assistant directors before would you be interested in that I was like I don't know what that is but yes <laughs> fine great that's fabulous and in the process of being a quote-unquote assistant director and eventually growing into that role and realizing what that actually is um which I don't think a lot of people know exist or care necessarily but can be integral to some oh yeah <laughs> to some things um then they got to know me as a person me as a, an organizer and were like when the, the time came f- for me to take on an actual show, they're like, yes, we trust you with this. Go for yeah. it. And getting that directed by Helen Oberger thing. Like, I have I have all of the posters in my office. Like, I did it! Ah! <laughs> um, but I can't imagine how else I would have, like, yeah. nope. short of and going back to school immediately, how else well, would you do that? Honestly, that is how Peter Brook, I mean, he was 16 when he did it, but... Right? So he's had he had a huge leap, and that's how he became a giant in the theater world. Right. Um, but that is that is how he did it. He yeah. walked into a theater and said, "I would like to direct." <laughs> would you please take me on? And I'm sure he, I, I'm sure he had to ask more than one. I can't remember the story completely, but it's what 
And what I found recently in, in getting work as a projection design assistant mm -hmm. has been as frustrating as the institutional barriers are, the one, it w it's not a piece of advice, but it's a, it's a, a, s a word that was spoken to me by an artistic director when she learned that I was, when I had the courage to actually say to an artistic director, mm -hmm. I want to be a director. Mm -hmm. um, she's like, well, I don't hire directors. She knows directors. Yeah. Yep. It, it, it is about because you because the process is so intense and, yep. and emotions can run so high yep. it is all about people that you trust totally that makes so a lot of sense once you get into the network it people that are very open and welcoming and they're like oh this is great like mm -hmm. but but on a page yeah too many people have been burned on a page so I understand why the institutional yep. barriers are there yeah but they are they sense. are screwing themselves out of creativity don't get me wrong <laughs> but yes once once you have that relationship with people it's so much easier for them to imagine you and, and once they know you like they don't have to imagine it at all and there's totally. just totally and then so and i've gotten now i've gotten gigs from theaters who i was hired by because of like because i used to work at the alley mm -hmm. i got to work on a show that the alley did mm -hmm. and now because i spent like a week and a half in dallas re I'm completely blanking on the word, remounting that show. Uh -huh. um, now Dallas knows that I do the thing that they need, so right. they are willing. It's like, oh, we have this need, we can go to this person who a year ago didn't know I existed. And wouldn't, right. and wouldn't like, it's not even a position that takes resumes. Like they mm -hmm. won't take, it's not like the, yes. there was an opening that they would have accepted applications for. That's, that's not how you staff design assistants or projection supervisors. Right, right. Um, so, but now that's in process. I'll work with three different designers, and they'll so think cool. of me. And I've gotten work because designers thought of me when they had to turn down work, kind of thing right. like that. So, yes, and that that is the other thing that keeps me going. Like yeah. that that is incredibly far and few between right now. Like mm -hmm. twice a year, mm -hmm. which isn't enough to pay the bills, which is why I'm still turning wrenches. <laughs> but it it is enough to be like, no, that was it is the right choice, and you eventually will ha have to turn people down because you're doing too much but mm. um but you gotta you gotta put in that, that you gotta put time in the, when the you're elbow grease. Yeah. yes yeah spiritual elbow grease <laughs> <laughs> i love it spiritual <laughs> elbow grease yes. so I, I i we are actually incredibly at our hour um oh my goodness <laughs> that went by really fast that flew by um i wanted to explore one more thing though i was yeah. like uh, um because <laughs> speaking of knowing people and that's how we got connected yes <laughs> I got connected with you because I just did a podcast with Kate Robards, who yes. I have never met in person. Do, will you get to meet her? During I hope so. I, I hope like, so too. Uh, three of her performances I can't go to at all yeah. because for various reasons. So I'm hoping to get mm. to get in on the last one for her solo show. Um, but uh, who was recommended to me by Lauren Halverson? Yes. Who I have <laughs> been like email and like Twitter friends with for a while and interviewed for the podcast, mm -hmm. but who also worked at the alley. Although I didn't know that, like I knew her name when yeah, I worked yeah, at the you alley. You mentioned in Kate's podcast that right. like you guys had been <laughs> ships passing in the night sort of yes, at the alley. Exactly. Right? And now, now I'm having you on the podcast. <laughs> so how, how exactly where, how did this chain, I think studio theater is involved. It's, with studio this chain. theater was the, the nexus of okay. all of that. Yeah. And I think, 
anybody you meet in theater in DC will have at least like one degree of separation from a studio person, yes. if not a studio person themselves. I think, I th as you lovingly put it, it's a machine that, yeah. that a lot of people go through. Um, I worked there for a hot six months as okay. a development coordinator. That's oh, actually my okay. yeah, that's my day job is fundraising. Gotcha. For okay. Nonprofit arts organizations and um, very noble day job. <laughs> yeah, it's you know nothing, <laughs> nothing at all. It's actually incredibly stressful. Uh, yeah. Um, the yeah, so I worked at the studio and Kate was in the apprenticeship program at that yeah. time and um, like a bright and shining star of a human being in it Jeez. and. It was right when I moved up to D.C., actually. I moved up to D.C. to work at studio um, and just get out of Miami uh, from where I had met my husband <laughs> and stuff. Um, <laughs> and so we got up here, and I got I had that job. My husband was, like, trying to figure out what he wanted to do, so then he started working at the ticket office, so then Kate met Ben, my husband, and, like, the, she... We were both so drawn to her because she's an incredibly magnetic human being. If you get to see her show, you'll see just... She is funny and witty and just like this shining beacon of glowing um reality like she's so real i i absolutely love that there's no pretense to her whatsoever mm. she's just like who she is um i love her obviously <laughs> love you kate um <laughs> and i didn't get to spend that much time with uh lauren halverson but again an incredibly intelligent yeah. human being who's working as dramaturgy staff um Traumaturgy. It's like the GIF yeah. GIF yeah. thing. Turgy. Turgy. What, te what team? What team are you on in there? I say, I say both actually. I, yeah, I mean, I say Basil and Basil too. <laughs> <laughs> like I kind of oscillate on uh, pronunciation. That's funny. I'm totally team GIF, but I am find myself being forced by the usage to say say GIF, GIF. occasionally. But yeah. that's because I grew up when when people when you remember like right. I'm old enough that I remember dot G I F was why it's called GIF. Right. because you said you had to spell it out, so it be just became dot .gif. Jif. Dot .gif. Ah, I see. Like JPEG, because right. of dot .jpg. JPEG is a lot easier to say. You interpolate yeah. those vowels. Anyway, sorry. So I heard somebody the other day say, oh, I have a shortened URL. <laughs> and I was like, I'm sorry, what? URL? Oh, wow. No, <laughs> yes. I have never heard anyone say that. Okay. I think they kind of messed up when they said that. Okay, before. great. Um, but no, so their studio is a... Is a little hub in D.C. that has a lot of people that go through it artistically um, yeah. and administratively. Yep, they do. For have what it's worth, it's yeah. it's a place where you can meet a lot of different people. And um, I, th I met Adrian Rooney, the lighting yep. guy that you mentioned in your podcast, who still has not managed to arrange, has expressed interest in being on the podcast, but has not <laughs> actually managed to give me a time. Pull the trigger, oh. do it, <laughs> just do it, Adrian. It's awesome. <laughs> Um, and Allison Burris, Burris was yeah. also in the apprenticeship program <laughs> yeah. at the same time Kate was. Um, yeah, she was also a awesome. She's, uh, she's actually uh, at um, Pen Shakes right now as a production Ooh. manager. That's so cool. Yeah. I love seeing how people, like once you meet them and then just spill out, it's like watercolors going out mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I'm so good. And Facebook enables you to see all the, yeah. the different places that people go and you're just like, oh, living vicariously through yeah. them, basically. <laughs> But it's also cool to be able to, to reconnect. And I, when I saw Kate Robards was doing the show for Capital Fringe, I was like, yeah, she's <laughs> coming back to the East Coast. Badass. So yeah. I'm really happy that she connected us. Yeah. It's it pretty was, cool. This has been incredibly awesome. Uh, it was a great to thank you again for, <laughs> for of course. talking to me about of opera course. and your opera, which is called Do Not Disturb. Do right? Not Disturb by Sean Fluger and lyrics by Laura Wehrmar Fuentes. 
and um, we'll be opening Saturday, July. I think that's the ninth. Ninth. Yeah. Ninth. <laughs> what is today? Uh, at one thirty at the Atlas Springer Theater. So come on down and see it. It's All right. Cool. This is the section when. I would when invite you, pl- you to plug yes. whatever. <laughs> plug away. Yes, it's going to be cool. It's only 90 minutes and it's sitting in English. And as you have just heard, it will have subtitles. So you won't miss anything. <laughs> It'll be a full sensory experience. Somewhat. All right. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Gesamtkunstwerk. Exactly. God, I love the way you just <laughs> roll that out there. It's great. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay. What did we clock in at? An hour, two minutes, and eight seconds. Wow.